Hey guys. Tim's back. Wait, you were here last week. I just forgot. Were you here last week? I don't know. We don't know no what we're idea. doing. Um, we're a professional herd here. We got a couple of things to start off with today. Um, number one, we may have to abruptly end. Oh yeah, abruptly end the podcast. The podcast. Um, I've got some septic tank trouble. Um, hello, Miss Jennifer Smith. Glad you're here. But anyway, they're coming to work on it today. I don't know when they're coming, and uh, and then uh, so they may show up right in the middle of this. They don't really care if we're doing a podcast or not. Yeah. And so if they come, we'll have to shut it down and uh, and go take care of that. Such is life in the real world. Well, and also it's kind of stormy and ugly here, and the internet's popped on us once. Yeah. It could very well do it again. So if we're in the middle of waxing poetic, and all of a sudden, poof, it goes away. You know what happened. Yep. Well, it would be a shock if we were waxing poetic anyway. <laughs> well, but topic-wise today, um, Tim and I are, are constantly together in our studies and in our teaching, in the podcast. We're constantly talking about this whole thing about kingdom vision. That Tim Tim kind of came up with that phrase. and uh, hmm. But it's it's the idea, Tim, of seeing things the way God does. And no, well, no, it, no, it's not. You know, it, <laughs> even that statement is goofy because. Well, it's, it's not really goofy. I think that's an accurate statement. But, but somebody could literally, somebody that's way smarter than we are could go. Who are you to say how God sees things? Exactly. And I'd have to look at him and go. I, I get your point. But all I can do is tell what I have witnessed and seen and worked, uh, mostly through things that I have changed or God has worked through me or something. And through that, and what I read in the scriptures, how he walks, talks, and acts, that's why I would say, I think this is how God sees it. Well, and, and we were just kind of talking about how to how to structure this particular topic today. And I guess our goal is always i guess has been is just to encourage people we 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 use the phrase to to stare into the face of god we say that a lot and and i know there's somebody out there that's going what do we mean by that what what do you what do you mean by staring into the face of god if you can figure that one out you get a million dollar prize (laughs) and so yeah and and so we're we're teaching stuff that we know by the spirit and by the word to be true but it's hard to articulate because and we're we're gonna what we're gonna do is just kind of generally kind of throw the softball out there, and then we're gonna give you some examples from scripture that we're just gonna talk about of where we see this happening, yeah. Um, where we see the contrast and the I'll use the word conflict, but it's not really conflict like in a negative way, but it's just the clash between seeing and operating in the physical realm, the earthly realm, the broken realm versus being in that realm and operating and seeing through the heavenly real realm that's actually there. Um, it, over in Hebrews, it talks about the um, the temple. We talk about this all the time, um, being a shadow of the reality. That, that, yes, Moses was told, do it just right, and you do it just right because it represents something very important. Yeah. But in and of itself, it's good, it's right, it was the law. But even at its best, at its apex of execution and, and function, was simply a shadow 
of what was happening. Um, and Tim's got some things he's going to share with us today, but it makes me think we were talking just a little bit ago of the story and I'm right there in it. Cause that's what I'm teaching on, on Wednesday night uh, is when Jesus is in Matthew 16, Matt, Jesus is telling the guys, Hey, I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to be basically going to be killed and be tortured. It's okay. You know, but that's coming. <laughs> and Peter, not on my watch, you know, it'll never be so. And he gets rebuked by Jesus. And what he gets rebuked for, if you go and you look in Matthew 16, what he gets rebuked for is because he said, you're concerned about the thing, the human things and not about godly things. You're not looking at it right. Like yes. you're trying to stop. And I see a parallel right now in all of this. Oh, the Antichrist is here. You know, the end times are coming. We're they're stripping away all of our stuff. I'm not, all of that's probably true to some degree. Yeah. And everybody thinks, well, we got to stop it. Well, or this the asinine thing is, is that we think we can, can stop go. it. Yeah. Well, and and so to use that Matthew chapter as a kind of a, a, a jump off. Hey, Tanya. Um, to jump off into what what Jesus was saying there. Now, in that passage, though, he he calls he calls Peter the devil. I mean, it's not <laughs> like he was just like, no, no, Peter. But he actually said, "Get thee behind me, Satan." And he wasn't. I mean, I guess he was calling Peter the devil, but I mean, it was the well, spirit he was that he saying the him. way in the way you said that and what you meant by that is a satanic thought. Yeah. In terms of not that Peter, you're evil. Uh, but it's in opposition. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And there is no in between. That's one of the things that we miss. I think in the kingdom, things are black and white. Right. Not in how you should walk, talk, and act necessarily, but in how you r relate and see and understand what God is doing and where he's at. And Satan is in utter, comp in, in, uh, uh, and I started to say competition, but that's not how I meant it. Uh, uh, man, I hate it when my mind goes blank like that. But so Satan's mentality he is in his mind in competition with God. Yeah. Not to be in competition with him, but he really thinks he can be God. Right. Or that he should be or is. Well, all of that's kind of combined. Right. But I, the reason I say that he thinks he can be God is because he's looking at him and going, I can do it just as good as you. Well, and he's putting action to that. And, and that's why he was telling Peter. That was that was how Satan thinks when Peter said that. I can do this better than you. And Jesus is, and they knew who Jesus was at that point. I mean, they had, they knew he was the son of God. They knew, they knew intellectually. Yeah. Because um, we even see Peter going into the tomb after the resurrection and the scriptures actually say, then he believed. Yeah. And so there was some, and even but Pentecost brought a whole different level. So it's this continuing peeling back the onion of, of belief even. Um, well, and all that comes, that it's all kind of one and together. It anyway, is. Yeah. And, and so, but in our minds, Peter's doing a good thing. I got your back, Jesus. They're not going to lay a hand yeah, on you. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, he's, and, and, and he gets rebuked for it. And so... This is one of those concepts that I don't have the foggiest idea how to explain other than to show it working 
And then, and because what we intellectually, you said a while ago, what we intellectually want to do is we want to figure out the formula. What, what do we need to run this through in my life to make sure that I come out on the other end, unscathed, pleasing the Lord, blessed, blah, 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 living the reality. It doesn't work that way. Well, and it starts perceiving what your, what reality is, which is kind of what we're talking about. Is when the way God sees it, that's reality. Whatever, whatever it is, whatever that is, how he sees it and whether that, and well, and you could say, you know, we get in these conversations about in the physical or in the spirit. And I do that too, but that's almost trying to separate and saying that, well, God sees the spiritual and we see the physical. I'm just using words that people throw out there in an attempt to try to, Uh, figure out how you work. There are, from God's perspective, there aren't two separate entities in that. Right. And, and he, man, I know that sounds really confusing, but the thing is, is to look and see how he's doing it here, whether that's in the spiritual or however you want to label that. And if you can see any piece of that, any part of your life or any part that you're walking in, you need to filter everything you do through that. Yeah. And it will look ridiculous in some cases. How do I how do I associate with this person, for instance? Uh, when I know how God's looking at something and I can see that they can't see it that way, whether it's on purpose or they just don't know or you know, whatever it is. How do I how do I deal with that? And I would tell you that's how John the Baptist felt yeah. every day that he walked. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Even well, with his disciples and all that stuff, you know, it, it poor guy. Well, and, and it's man's desire. And, and I think a lot of the scriptures, especially in the early disciples and through Acts, and you see Paul's writings, it's a picture into working out what these two worlds as they were look like as they operate together because in god's perspective they're always operating together yeah they are the same world yeah in our limited perspective because of the fall and our separation from god through sin we need help to see that because we're fallen and it's like in matthew 16 in my example i was given jesus says this is going to happen because it's part of the plan this he wasn't saying if everything falls off the wheels, this is going to happen. If God doesn't help me, this is going to happen. He was just like, oh, guess what's going to happen? I'm going to be yeah. tormented and whatever. That's the plan of God. That's how God sees it. That's how Jesus saw it through the Spirit. Well, Peter, trying to do what humans do, oh, because his way of seeing the kingdom was limited. His way of seeing the kingdom was driven by humanity and what right and wrong and good and bad. And he said, nope, I'm not going to let them touch you. Rebuke. Get thee behind me, Satan. And the reason he got rebuked is because you're not looking at it right. You're looking at it like a human and not looking at it like God. And he responded with broken hearted and said, but I'll give my life for you. And yeah. he probably would have, but he was still measuring it. it. It's like, but Jesus, you don't understand. I mean, it was almost the, yeah. the connotation. And so, but then... The very next passage, Matthew 17, right after that, it says six days later, he takes Peter, James, and John up on the Mount of Transfiguration. Yeah. And so they get to see Jesus. Oh, and by the way, Moses and Elijah show up. And <laughs> Jesus, the man before glorification, this is before 
you know, the resurrection and all of that stuff. This is just, begins to glow. His clothes become, he takes on a reality that seems to be separate, apart from, and different than the reality that they walked up there in. Yeah. But the, but the truth is that was those two realities always did and still do exist together. Yes. And Jesus so, was just becoming, and he was in the presence of what reality the, really is. Yes. That this life and what we see is subservient to. Right. Well, and then what were, what were Peter and James and John's reactions? They freaked out. But Peter, particularly, if you read the passage, did exactly what he did like four verses ahead of that when he got rebuked and called the devil. <laughs> he began to try to put humanly defined religious function and order around it. Oh, well, let's build us some let's tabernacle. Let's build us some tabernacle. Let's build us a tabernacle to Jesus. Let's build us one for Moses. Let's build us one for Elijah because we got to put some function and form on this. And while it says he was yet speaking and he was getting his plans together on how to do this the right way, yeah. the analog for me now would be, man, the Holy Spirit's moving. Let's figure out what we got to do to either contain it or maximize it <laughs> or make sure everybody, you know, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I do. <laughs> While he's doing that, it says the voice, wow. of the, the voice of the Lord came down and there was a bright cloud, which to me is in great contrast to Sinai, which was a dark cloud. I'm not going to explore that today because I don't, I can't yet. But there was a bright cloud, and a voice came out and reaffirmed who Jesus was, kind of like it did at his at his baptism. And who I will please. Well, then all of a sudden, Peter, James, and John had a different response. They forgot about the tabernacles, and they fell on their faces as dead men. <laughs> yeah, which we talk about all the time. That is, yeah, yeah. Man, that's a great picture. And as as we're talking through this, because people people do ask us, you know, what do you mean seeing how the kingdoms, you know, see, see and pass? How do you do that? It's that's what it looks like. Is you stop trying to figure out how you're going to correct God's plan and defend His honor, and you get on your face as a dead man and just let Him do and let Him be and be in His presence. Yeah, and that doesn't. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And Guys, part, does that make sense if you're watching? I don't know if anybody's watching, but does that make sense? Somebody comment if that makes sense. Well, but you know, it seems ethereal. That means it's kind of floating around. You can kind of go, oh, yeah, that sounds like... like uh, uh, Hocus Pocus or... Well, not even Hocus Pocus. Uh, oh, what were what they call the guys that used to sit around and talk big theory all the time? Uh, Scholarly? yeah. Because it, it, you can talk to eggheads, you Sounds know, like those, those, those are the super, yeah, super, super eggheaded people that talk about deep stuff and all that. But for the majority of us, it doesn't mean anything unless we can figure out how to put traction on it. And that's what's really been, that's that's kind of the conversation that we had earlier, but it, it, it sits on me all the time in a respect that. In a lot of ways, I think I can see. I know how God thinks, and I know what he's looking for, and I know what he does. And then when I turn around and try to explain that to somebody, uh, it's not that I'm in this great place, and that, that that's not it. it. It's part of my sanctification. And I've... God, oh, this is really going to sound bad. I've gotten there in some respects where I can kind of guess and see... Not guess. I know what God thinks in a lot of things. 
and I know how he sees it. And I find myself very lacking because I don't know how to, just like you said, you know, uh, what can we do to help help that spirit out or something? And in the end, God tells me, you don't need to do any of that. Don't do it. Well, and this idea, you just said something I think that's, that's interesting. And if anybody's actually out there still watching to, to take heart of, Tim says, I know what God is thinking in a lot of spaces, but just like John the Baptist told his people, but you didn't get that because you were able to figure it out. Yes. You only got it because the kingdom revealed it to you. Yeah. The spirit revealed it to you. <laughs> and, and, and what we find ourselves, it's the human condition is we look over thousands of years or a, hundred, or a couple thousand years of, I would say, church history, but even more than that of just religious history all the way back in through the, the, the law and the Torah. It is the human bend to help God along in completing his plan by our intellect and energy versus just joining him. David talks about all the time about joining mm. him in what he's doing. Examples, Abraham. We talk about it a lot. God gave him a promise and Abraham believed him. It's not that he didn't believe him, but he did. The scriptures say that and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he wouldn't have been able to articulate it. So, yeah, well, it was just that's what? where I'm at. He well, it makes perfect sense when you're looking at it from the way God looks at it. Yeah. God gave the promise and he touched the one he created, and the one he created went, I don't know what all that means, but I know it's a done deal. And all the way through him, he understood what that meant. And then you see him in the next motion. He's looking to try to make it happen. Yeah, he's trying to, we would, here's the vernacular we would hear today. He's trying to live, to live in the promise, to walk in what God <laughs> prophesied over him. Yeah. And, and in so doing, I don't think his heart was jacked up. I don't think. No, was, no, no. It wasn't any of that. He was just like, God gave us a promise. Here's a way to get to God's promise. Give me Hagar. And actually it was her idea, Sarah's idea, but, um, yeah, woman, but, uh, and, and, and we, see, but we see this all the time, you know, the Pharisees did it. What did Jesus tell them all the time? I mean, you're so busy giving tithes of mint and cumin and this, you're not even taking care of your folks, you know, because mm. you're looking at taking these things that are the shadow in Hebrews, this law, and you make, you're making it about them. Well, and they were doing evil things. Yeah, I, on top of it. Well, from from looking at it like when Peter got rebuked. What I mean by that is, uh, and we're really going round and round circles here, but uh, what I mean by that is, is the disciples came out when John the Baptist was preaching and the first thing out of his mouth is he turned around and he says, who warned you brood of vipers to come out here? Now that really means something because he was talking to the muckety mucks of the church at the time. Yeah. And I'm talking about where people went to for how does God look at us and deal with us uh, yeah. kind of stuff. And the reason I, I say it, it, Peter was in his, we'll call it in the flesh. I hate using church terms because we sling them around so much. They don't really mean anything. Uh, but Peter in his, in his well-meaning flesh says, there ain't nobody coming after you. They're going to have to get through me to get to you. I'll give my life for you. And it was a genuine, yeah, all-intentful statement. And Jesus just, it sounds like he just 
ripped throws him on the ground, puts his foot on his throat, and says, "You get behind me, Satan." Because of what he did, that would be. That's why I didn't mean Satan is satan or uh, Peter is satanic. What I meant was, is his way of thinking. That's how deeply ingrained it is, and that's the way Satan works. Yeah. And so when John the Baptist said that to the spiritual leaders, that's exactly the way he meant it. And there's a point in there where you choose to do that. And when Peter, or when Jesus rebuked Peter, Peter was going to do that if somebody tried to come after Jesus. Well, he did it in the and garden. That, that's why he rebuked him so hard and said no. Well, and he, even after being rebuked, when they came to get him in the garden, what does he do? He draws his sword and cuts Malchus's ear off. Yeah, yeah. Because it's, it's just... It's it's part of who he is. And, and on a side note, I don't think God was holding score on those things. No. It was part of, God was using that to help develop who he is. Well, how do I know who Peter is? Go read his books because that was <laughs> after the fact and you see a completely different individual. Well, and, and we know that God didn't dismiss Peter for his ingrained thought process of not seeing things correctly in Matthew 16, because literally it's like six days later, he's one of the few getting to get up on the mountain and see the glory yeah. and to see Moses and Elijah and to see that. And what that means for you and I is, is you're listening to us talk about all this. Both and I know Matt struggles with it, but I struggle with it a lot, which kind of brings us back to the point of specific ideas. Well, what does that mean? And we've talked about all these kind of things, but the way I do it is I look at the people in the scripture. Uh, and I've talked about it before. There's a guy named Enoch in the Old Testament uh, in the very beginnings of the New Testament. And it just, all we know about Enoch is who his dad was. And then it says that... <clears throat> he walked and, with God and was not. And was not. And yeah, in the, in the, in the King well, James Version, and in our vernacular, it means that God took him. And that doesn't, that doesn't mean he was mean. And he, that means he was so close to who God was. And actually, I would tell you, not so close to God. I would tell you that he believed God so much that he was acting and being and living like he would had before the fall. Mm -hmm. Well, he and understood that these realms that we are trying to bridge the gap in and functioning all the time are actually the same. Yeah, well, what that also tells me is, is we must have the capacity to do that. Well, and Elisha did too. We tell the story about Elisha and Jehazi. You know, Jehazi comes out, oh, no, everybody's surrounding us. And Elisha's digging eye boogers out of his eyes, you know, and just kind of, you know, groggy. Because Jehazi woke him up. Yeah, <laughs> Panic. and he's like, God just, you can almost see it just show him, show him what, what he, you know. And it wasn't just that he could see. He just understood that was normal. Was that normal was normal function. walking around to him. It was normal function. And one of the things that, that I want to really drive home as we teach through and we talk about pushing past the face value of things, pushing past the shadows. That's probably a good way to look into at the reality is everything around us, your religious practice, your church, your even your personal walk with the Lord. They're all extremely important and they're all very much a shadow or a path to or an indication of what's really taking place. They're a means to an end, and the end is to get in the face of God and learn who he is. Um, and what? Yeah, so anybody sitting out there, what he just said, getting in the face of God, we've said this a hundred times, and I imagine everybody's going, how do I do that? Yeah. 
And that's what we've been talking about. I struggle with that. I don't know the answer to that. All I do know is, is that in places where I try to do what I think you're supposed to do and, and be all the things I'm supposed to be, those are not actions that are worthless. And if I was smarter and really in the face of God, I wouldn't have to go through those things. No, I believe that he engineers things and even my own stupidity can be used to engineer things. Uh, and that, that's how God does it. He's interested in you being in his face means that in its perfect sense is like Enoch. I'm living like I was, how I was intended to live fall or no fall. Well, it's like we were talking earlier. We have this idea that. And it's by God's action that you live like that yeah. and not your own. And Enoch understood that somehow. Right. And that's the path we're all trying to figure out. Well, and, and one of the things the Spirit has taught me is I get really focused on what is it that God's doing with me to change yeah. me into his image. And he is, and that's part of it. Yeah, but his too. vision is so much greater than me than you, than whoever. And when it, the scriptures say, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. When you were talking, Tim was shared with me this morning some of his devotion at reading Oswald Chambers. And it's not just that God takes us through these valleys, through the path, through this difficult path, Matthew 7, just to clean us up and knock the edges off and get us out the other end. He is doing that. But the grander vision of that is, is he's sending us into the valley of the shadow of death to take the light of the gospel, to take the city on the hill into these dark, jacked up places and to be his glory in there and so that the world can see as he takes us through this path and, and sees the reality of what's happening. And actually what he said was, is in the valley of the demons. Yeah. And what does that mean? Well, our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's against all the principalities and all the things that we can't see in this spiritual world, which is where we come up with this, the spiritual and in the physical. So just assume both of those are in the same, well, they are in the same place, but try to put that in your head. And so the statement where uh, through the valley of the shadow of death, that has a whole new meaning for me now. Uh, because when he takes us while we're in the process of our developments, like Matt said, you know, we're looking at it like, how's he deal with me? How's he do? I identify with that statement big time. We're not looking at it right. <laughs> when or, he, or at he, least we're not looking at it completely because he is doing that. Also. Exactly. And I think it, it does have a method to the madness. I just dug in my ear on TV. Um, it's all right. We only have two listeners. They, uh, uh, he develops me for his work and his process, not just to stand up and do something that is happening. It's radiating out. So he puts me through the places where the demons are because it's influential. I don't have to go learn how to deal with demons. You have to learn how to, I have to learn to look at God and be going, Everything you want from me, I have no capacity to do. And that's not just a statement. Yeah. I, or at least for me, he's brought me where I see that. And <laughs> well, another good example for me is when they're in the wilderness in Exodus and you've got the, you know, the cloud and the pillar of fire and all this stuff that they're following. They had no, con I mean, they, they didn't know what they were walking into. 
a lot of the time. And that was the whole idea is you focus on the column. You focus on the on the fire. Yeah. You focus on the smoke. You follow who God is. They're in the wilderness. That was the point. But their focus was on that. It's like I told the story a couple of weeks ago. Their of, focus was that they were in the wilderness. They're not focusing on the cloud. Is that what it, you meant? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, but when they would get, well, God's idea was for them to focus on the cloud. What they When they started getting jacked up was they started looking out into the wilderness and looking at yeah. the circumstances. But he was doing a thing, you know, whatever that, then we could talk about the theology of what he was doing with them and all that. But he was doing a thing. And for me, the lesson is don't get so concerned about the details. Keep your face on the, on the column, on the, on the, on the, yeah, on, on God. I agree with that. Well, and the manna is a good example. He gave them manna. Well, we don't like the manna because they were looking at the face value. And he's like, fine, I'll give you quail. Well, we don't like that either, you know, and, and cause they just could not focus on him. You know, a couple of weeks ago, I told the story about, we had to do some work on Brenna's fingers and, and, uh, at Lance, a little infection place. And, you know, I'm holding her down and she's and from her perspective, this is the most jacked up thing ever. Yeah. You know, my protector is restraining me while these other two caregivers put me through some pain yeah well but it had to happen for a lot of reasons you know but i just wanted her to trust me and that's a tiny silly little example of when we're in the valley of the shadow of death i can either look at it at face value i can look at it at worldly i can be like peter and be like well this is not going to happen on my watch or i can just stare into the father's face about what we mean by that is what happened when the father showed up in the cloud on the Mount of Transfiguration? They got on their face before him and they worshiped him. And yeah, so there's some practicality here. Uh, I don't think God works in practicality, but we do in some <laughs> sense or another. And what I mean by that is, is that uh, walking through the valley of the shadow of death, use that analogy that's in Psalms. Uh, and so he brings the, the Hebrew people out of Egypt and, and they're going through the desert. There's nothing out there, okay? It's rocks and sand and sand and rocks and it's hot. And so uh, these people, and so if you don't know the story, what happens is, is it, it, God covered them, yeah. or at least after Sinai, when they decided we're not going into the promised land, they wandered for 40 years out in this mess. God covered them with a cloud and there was a, and a pillar that when he would come down and visit with them the signs were immense and we're all going man i wish we had that stuff hold on to that thought all they had to do was follow around where this was and all they had to do when things were going goofy or they had gripes would either literally just look up and start going man look at this and I think it's literally like that because when we sit down, if we'll just, and I know what it is, when you got your brain, one of those brains that goes a thousand miles an hour all the time, you need to learn how to make that stop uh, because it is deceptive. Well, I have to. No, you don't. Yeah. Uh, you're, and that's not Satan doing it. That's you deceiving yourself. And so what I'm, th this is what I'm talking about right here. When they would quit looking at this or they got tired of it or they just never thought about it anymore, there's nothing wrong with being in the presence of God and not really thinking of him. Not in a bad way, but you're so used to him yeah. 
that's life. And that's a great place to believe. That's what Enoch did. Yeah. These guys, they, they'd start looking and their gaze would go to Moses. And most of the time they were mad. And you know what Moses' response was all the time when they had something to say? Why are you asking me? I don't know. He just told me to go this way. <laughs> yeah. And we look at that and we're like going, what kind of an answer is that? And Moses is looking right back at him going, I don't what know. kind of answer is that? I don't know. That's the only answer I got. Because he's measuring it by his faith in the Lord and the one that's taking him. And he is looking up at the cloud and he is doing well, those you things. You see it in Matthew, I mean, in, in, in uh, what's his name? In Joshua. Um, when Moses would go into the tent, because when they had a problem, oh, that's what he would man, do. Yeah. When they had a problem, they'd be like, what are we supposed to do? I don't know. Let's go and ask. And he would go and get in face to face with the Lord and would speak with him. The scriptures say like a friend, that's a whole different discussion. I can't chase the rabbit. Right, right, right. But what would Joshua do? Yeah. So this is a, he would sit this is out. A great, Joshua would go to the tent. He couldn't go in. He couldn't go in, but I guarantee you, his ear was pressed up next to it. And that was, and, it, and it he said, was looking for the face of the Lord. Ooh, and man, that's good stuff and he right was there. Like, I don't know either. And he knew, even when they went and when the Israelites decided they were going to repent. Okay, we did wrong. And now we're going to go and take this land. Well, Moses, Aaron, Joshua sat back with the ark, and they were like, or not I mean, Moses, uh, Moses, Joshua, and Caleb sat back and said, um, "Hey." Y'all go ahead, but the ark's not going with you. And you go out and do it in your own power. Go ahead. And they got their butts handed to them. <laughs> and you see mm. these kinds of things all through Scripture when there was, what are we going to do? I don't know. We have to go seek the face of the Lord. Even in the umim and the thumim, you know, when they, the priest would have the, basically they're like dice. I mean, they're like, it's a different discussion. What does the Lord want us to do? You know, and in, in their ritual, they were seeking the face of the Lord. When they had to uh, choose the replacement for Judas, what do they do? They cast lots. They throw some dice down. And there's a lot of theological discussion about that, <laughs> but what they were doing was, we don't know who to pick, let God pick. Yeah. Um, Cornelius, we wouldn't want to visit that. Yeah. And we were talking about, because what we want to do as Christians is we want to make sure we get everything worked out and lined out. And I am terrible at it. I do this all the time. And I have to uh, to really fight against it. We want to get everything lined out because I want to be obedient. And it really yeah. is out of a pure heart. I want yeah, to do yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we're going to screw it up. And nine times out of ten, he's going to do stuff outside of what we expect. Almost every time. Almost every time. It's like when Peter has the vision, dudes knock on the door. Hey, you're supposed to come with us. And he was like, yeah, the Spirit told me that. Let's go. And that was a weird deal because they were like, Roman guard type Gentiles. That's not a good thing for a Jewish guy in this culture. And we're taking you over to this city. And um, we get there and they go to see Cornelius, who the scriptures decide is a God-fearing man. Yes. And he was well thought of amongst the Jews and the Gentiles. And he the was Gentiles. a leader of the Italian cohort. He was a big wig. He was a muckety-muck. He was a muckety-muck. But people loved him because he was living out the fruits of the Spirit without having yet had the Spirit. Yeah, he wasn't even saved yet. He wasn't even saved yet. Yeah. And, and doing it, Peter speaks, the Spirit falls. Well, then dudes start speaking in tongues. They start doing all kind of stuff. And everybody's like, oh, so he stayed. He teaches a while, comes back to the guys in Jerusalem. What do they do? They got to have a meeting. Yeah. A big, and I'm not faulting them. 
necessarily. That can't be the way it happened. Because it was outside the scope, you know. Their, had, it was outside their scope. scope. Yeah. And they did what really what Peter had done earlier, which was God was moving and doing. And they was like, well, I'm not sure God can move and do that way. And we do this all the time all the in our time. religious structures. Well, not even just in our structures, in our actual personal walks. Yeah, we, yeah. It has to be this way, or I. It's it's not of God. You're trying to put. That's what we mean by putting God in a box. Yeah. And it, the point of that is, I mean, I can tell you, don't put God in a box, and that's what you're doing. You're putting God in a box, and you might be able to relate to that. But it's a lot deeper than that, because we get down to the point where the Lord is working on you and around you and all these things. Uh, and all he is asking for you to do is give up the right to yourself. And we've said this before, yeah. but there's always some place in us where we want to hang on to our methods, method or spot or how I want to think about it or, and it's, it doesn't always feel evil to us. It's a lot of times Peter in his situation. That's exactly the point. Yeah. Yes, Peter. And that's how Paul could say with impunity, on my best day, my my good yeah. deeds are as filthy rags because if I get everything right, it's still just a shadow. It's not what's real. And what happens is when you're trying to hang on to that whatever that piece is and not give up the right to yourself, what you're really doing is trying to find a point where you can have the control and say, well, God, if you want me, you're going to have to come here. Yeah. And, and that, now that feels and sounds evil, but that's exactly what Peter was doing. That's exactly and that's doing. why Jesus and told I, him what he did. I can spot it a thousand miles away in other people because it's in my DNA. It yeah. Is, yeah. Yeah. It is, we're not pointing fingers. No, I, we, <laughs> we like, can see it. <laughs> we we work through these kind of things a lot, just in our relationship with each other, as we work out our relationship with the Lord, because it's just it is in it's in the. If I had any hair, I would say it was in the fiber of my. You know, <laughs> it's in my eyebrows. But uh, uh, it it just I find myself over and over and over again, right back at the place mm. of of trying to. But God, if you were doing, if it was going to go your way, it would be like this, or this is what it's supposed oh, to be. Oh man, and, man, and I'm trying to fix man. it to where it goes that way instead of going. You know what? I need to be like Joseph. I, I told a guy yesterday. It took Joseph 22 years ish to get from getting sold to saying. If you look at Genesis 45 and Genesis 50, he yeah. literally says, "God did you didn't do this." God did it to me. Yeah. It's not even that God redeemed it a la Romans 8:28 and and a la, you know, got Satan meant for you. It's not even it's bigger than that. It was he goes from God redeemed what crappy thing you did and made something good out of it. And that's how we tend to characterize things all the time and he does that. But Joseph took it to a different level into the reality of he didn't just redeem something that was jacked up. He did this to he me. He intended it for that and also I would tell you you can't just look at Joseph Joseph got it and the Lord gave it to him to forgive his brothers and just look at them as equals but God was thinking about his brothers back when all that was going on too yeah see that's the, that's the weird part that people go whoa that, that can't be yeah well according to Joseph 
Well, because it was. What, what Joseph says in Genesis 50 is God, pl- you think you planned it. I'm paraphrasing, but go back and read it. But God planned it to bring about this end result. And the end result was, is that, uh, I mean, untold numbers of people were saved in the famine. Yeah. Were the, the children of Israel, the nation for what, for all. Well, the whole purposes. nation of Egypt was saved. Everybody. Too. I'm just saying, yeah, just yeah. the world as they knew it at that point in time was, was saved through that. And we, we use these examples all the time too, of, of Bartimaeus, of the paralytic, uh, just on down the deal of where they were allowed, not just allowed, they were designed mm. for that purpose. Mm. And from our standpoint, it was like, how can a good God let Bartimaeus do that and go through all of that? But the yeah. whole time, God's not just looking at Bartimaeus. He's looking at this much bigger picture of reality. Yeah. God used him. We're still talking about him. Yeah. I don't have a story in the scriptures. You don't have a story in the scriptures, but Bartimaeus does. (laughs) I mean, how many millions of Christians have said the name and understanding who blind Bartimaeus is? You don't think he's going to have a seat near the throne and the elders when all of this shakes down? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, that's 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 good stuff. And I, I I look at I guess for me it's like and and this is just where I'm learning, guys. This is I had somebody the biggest compliment somebody ever gave me in the ministry was that they they said I feel like your pastoral ministry is just an outflow of what God's doing in your life because I don't know anything else to talk about. No, that's that's a good statement. And that's one of the things God's dragging me through right now is is it's. Sometimes it comes across as flippancy about your circumstances. It's not. It's an intentional push past the, the terms I've been using, past the face value of what's happening. Yeah. You know, Jesus was about to be in that story, Matthew 16, was about to be brutally, horrifically murdered and tortured. But that wasn't the story. Right. That was, it was part of the story. It was a factor in the story, but it's not story. really the story. I mean, the story was redemption, the defeat of evil, yeah. and all of those sorts of things of death. And, but to him, it was just in his flesh. We see him in the garden going, Father, if there's any other way. So it, even struggling with the face value, struggling with the circumstances is not a bad thing. Right. But it's right. that but nevertheless part that is a trained it's a response that comes through sanctification and you don't, you can't intellectually break it down and teach people that. Well, that's kind of what we were talking about earlier. And I guess we probably ought to see about landing. The yeah. Plane we got to land the plane. Planes. Uh, that's my struggle. Trying to articulate the things that I know that God is looking at and what he does, whether I'm the influence or the, the example that he's using to do it or whatever it is. I don't know that we can do that. We can. We need to teach the scriptures from an academic point of view. We need to 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 give example and all those kinds of things, and that's things that we soak. Yeah. And at some point or another, though, he's going to pull you up and go quit quit shifting your eyes left and right. Look right here. Yeah. I can't intellectually teach you that. Yeah. That's not my place. It's not any teacher's place. And but with that said, that's not a cop out. Uh, because my struggle. Uh, well, not the struggle for you guys. 
this is how I have come to where I am now, whatever that measure is. As I'm looking at guys, I and mean, we talk about him, so I talk about Enoch. You know, he's got a whopping two or three sentences about him in there. But it says a huge amount relative to everything else that's going on in there. Uh, Elijah, that one seems kind of easy to me because you see him in there doing his work and he's doing this and he's making the women mad and all this stuff. And then he goes to heaven in a chariot. You know, that's how we think it's supposed to be. And then you look at guys like John the Baptist. These are the obvious ones to me. There's hundreds of them in there. Uh, but John the Baptist, I mean, he was, from where he came from, he should have been trained, and he should have been a, a Levite, a big muckety-muck in the church, because his daddy was. And you look at it from those perspectives, and he was a guy that was crazy by everybody's definition. Yeah. But we know that that guy, everything he saw, thought, did, and walked... Uh, Jesus was like that too, but we give him an excuse. You know, he, he probably dressed kind of decent. You know, he was probably in the redneck stages of people, but you know, he carried himself well and that kind of stuff. I don't know if he did or not, but John the Baptist was definitely kind of torn between what reality he knew was and how he was living. Well, does that mean I have to look and dress and be weird? No. You're missing yeah. the point if that's the case. If that's the question you're asking, it's objective evidence that you're still caught in the hamster wheel of trying to figure out how to do it just right. Yes. Don't get out of the hamster wheel, though, but start responding to things. And exactly like he was when you look at Peter or Paul. Well, Peter, too. Um, you have to really look at the situation of what Paul was beforehand. We've read the story and heard it so many times that we miss the significance of that. And then what he's like later on when he's going through shipwrecks and all kinds of stuff and getting bit by snakes and he shakes all that off and he's like going, yeah, do <laughs> some great. more. That's great. That's because that's, those are people that are looking into the face of God and they're able to measure reality how God looks and sees it. Yeah. One of the best examples to, for me that's an application it's an old example that has really interesting application, and we'll we'll wrap up. John the Baptist is on his doing his thing. He's got scads, hosts of disciples. Crazy as he was, people resonated yeah, with his they, thinking. They followed him, yeah. And then Jesus comes on the scene, and his disciples get a little irritated. Hey, a bunch of our people are going to follow that dude. Wrong. You man. know, we need to have a little chat about that. And you want to make an application to our current American church culture. Hey, they got a little, you know, and I, I'm going to be the first to tell you, I feel every fiber of it in my being, okay? <laughs> and it needs to be rebuked and it needs to die. But the guy started saying, hey, what are we going to do about that? And John had the right response. He's yeah. like, no, I'm not even worthy of that dude's unbuckling that dude's shoes. I don't care if they go, because the, the point was, he is the Lamb of God. Everything points to Him, and so when we say things like "you got to put, you know, get your stare in the face of God," it, we have to spend more time finding out and looking into the who is Jesus, who is God, what is He, yeah, what is how does He live and move, the how to do it on this earth, and how to live that out in the valley of the death, and how to live that out in the darkness that He's put us into. That will come. Yes. And he will orchestrate it, and he will do it in us through the fruits of the Spirit. Oh, man. His training 
pipeline is completely different from anything that we would think we, it would and be. And we could never see it coming. We could never duplicate it. We just, that's why in our ministry, mm. that's the crux of what we do is give people tools and encouragement and equipping to just get into his word, listen to his spirit and find out who he is. And that's what we mean by stare into his face. Find out who he is. And you'll see in the scriptures that when people do that, there is but one physical, literal response to it. And they fall to the earth as dead men. It says it over and over <laughs> and over again. And that's when you know that something's happening in your soul. That's right. That's right. Because <laughs> just like on the Mount of Transfiguration, the religious practice that Peter was trying to set up to build the tabernacle, which was a booth, like a soup, like it was yeah. a Jewish thing that they would want to do in honor of these people. All of a sudden it didn't matter anymore. Yeah. Because the shadow is always subservient to the reality. And yes. they were in the face of the reality. So that's our encouragement is get in the face of the reality. Yeah. Anything else? Appreciate it. We didn't get uh, interrupted, which also means my septic tanks aren't fixed yet. But uh, you guys have a good week. Prayerfully consider, if you would, as always, uh, supporting the ministry. It's a 100% uh, supported by you folks. Um, you can go to the org forward slash donate. Um, prayerfully consider being a monthly supporter. Even, even $5 a month is helpful to the ministry. Um, and we are still working on our, our app for Mexico. Um, it's coming along. It's a much slower process than I thought it was going to be, um, but we're we're beginning to get some traction. And actually, I hope soon to have um, have a prototype ready for people to look at, and and you can actually go and download. Uh, we're we're hopefully close to that. If you don't have anything else, we're going to go. No, I'm hungry. It. I'm going to go eat some lunch. See you guys later. Bye bye.